0: Welcome to the Shark Pod, the podcast that explores business and lifestyle design in Ireland and beyond. And now, live from Greystone Studios, here are your hosts, Luke Curry and Mark Baker.
1: What is up, Shark Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Shark Pod Live from Greystone Studios, aka my box room here in Greystones. I've got Mark Baker out there. Marky B, how's it go? how are you getting on?
0: Good, good. All good in uh Geary. I'm, uh, again, in a box room, but I think a lot of people are in their box rooms uh, these days work, working from home.
1: Yeah, lo- loving the box room. Uh, you know, I'm, we were thinking about uh, building one of those cabins in the back this week, and we were measuring it out and stuff, um, and it's got out of control completely. Um two stories uh, yeah my wife said we need to really <laughs> rein that in i'd like <laughs> take what we're thinking but just half it you know um but we've got a uh, guest here today is kevin O'Loughlin of nostra um it outsourcing how are you getting on kevin
2: great yeah yeah nice to meet you luke as well uh yeah no i'm i'm uh walking from home like everyone else and i actually did build the box uh, out in the back garden <sighs> but i turned it into a pub <laughs> Broader than an office in the end.
1: So, so Kevin's got the Shabin out there. Uh, and where, where are you based? Are you are you still in Dublin? Or are you, in, I know you guys are based at uh, Alucan, originally?
2: I'm still in Dublin. Yeah, yeah, living in South Dublin.
1: Perfect, perfect. So, how would you how would you introduce uh, Nostra uh, to people who haven't come across the business before? Um, what how would you when people say to you kind of what you guys do? What, what's your answer?
2: The answer really is that uh, we uh, provide IT departments to companies and all the IT that the IT departments need. Um, and you know, we we're traditional IT outsourcing uh, in, in, in some respects, but probably the core message that we give to people is that we step in where ultimately the relationship between the business owners or the the financial controllers or the or the, the CFO of a business and their IT department breaks down. When that relationship breaks down it can be a very difficult place for a company and an IT department. And we step in and ultimately help figure out what the company needs in terms of technology. We deploy it and then we support it all.
1: And, and so you guys have been in, in business for a long time, though. When did you guys uh, get into, the, when did this, the business start?
2: Uh, so we started 2nd of January 2007. So, okay. And uh, actually i very specific there, but uh, yeah, 2nd of January 2007. So we, we just wanted to get the very tail end of the Celtic Tiger. <laughs> uh, which we did before we fell off a cliff
1: <laughs> just want to get in there just at the end make sure that you get locked into nice leases and all that good stuff before uh everything everything kind of falls
2: maximum apart. salaries maximum rent was, was our <laughs> objective yeah
1: okay so objective objective one uh achieved mark mark baker uh it outsourcing you're you're an entrepreneur is that something that you guys came across when you were launching your business something you had to think about it's
0: it's something that was recommended to me as uh, an absolute must, but it's not something. So, I did a business, we did a business plan. We were going to kind of bootstrap it, just me and, and my business partner, and then we took on investment and stuff. So, our, our first business plan was completely different from our second business plan, which was a more mature one with uh, kind of proper input rather than just two people with just big ambitions and, and dying to get started. So, we didn't have IT outsourcing or any kind of IT in mind. It's just something that was almost oblivious to us because we just thought, you know, we're a two man band. We became four people quite quickly though. um, So I'm very, very glad that we did. We do have an uh, IT outsource provider um, who I talked to just over the last year, almost daily. And it's a lifesaver an absolute lifesaver.
1: So, Kevin, like when you when you were getting into this, sometimes I wonder, so were are you like a, a technical guy that was working for a like a, like a big like American tech firm and you said, "I want to do this myself?" or because what me and Mark have o- often said about Ireland is that there's so many people working for these big tech companies that you think there would be spin-offs all over the place. And I know that there's a lot of uh, startups out there. There's a lot of uh, people going out on their own. But it does take, a, a big jump, uh, especially when there's so many IT jobs in those big companies. Uh, what was your background before you, you got into Nostra? Before I got into it, yeah, no, I was a
2: techie uh, and I, I was an IT engineer. Then I uh, probably realized I enjoyed talking about IT more than I like fixing it. And I ended up in a, in a sales role and I did that for a few years. Um, but we didn't start as an IT outsourcing company. We actually started back in 2008 as a, as a cloud and a virtualization company, which was about making IT footprint smaller and kind of giving people a more fit-for-purpose solution. And we became an IT outsourcing company because ultimately we were meeting IT managers. And what I learned very quickly is that unless you're out in the market and you're looking at loads of different companies and how they're doing it, you get a very siloed view of, of what things can be. And... You know, we had the experience because I saw tons of companies and what they were doing. And I could see who was very innovative and who wasn't. But if you're an IT manager in a company, it's very hard for you to stay on trend or stay current with with what's out there. Um, so we ended up having to bypass the IT departments to get in and actually explain our solutions to the business owner. Because they didn't care what the technology was. They just wanted the best and whether it cost less or more than what they had. They wanted the best. They wanted to be able to focus on their core business. And we got a, a an early win of a customer, I'm going to say in about 2010, and uh, it was a very significant Irish startup. Um, and they were, you know, backed by almost a billion euros of investment at that time. And they outsourced everything and except what their core business was. And they said, you know, we, we don't want to be the best accountant in the world. We get the best accountant in the world and they can run our accounts department. We get the best IT, they can run our IT department. But we just want to do what we do our core business. And they went on to tremendous success and were sold for two and a half or three billion after about four years in business. And when you actually looked at the trust they gave to all of these experts and they focused on what they were experts in, and I learned a huge lesson in that. And I take that to a lot of our customers and I say, look at, you know, like I, I would t- take an example. I, I could often walk in and still do to to an organization that, you know, might have, say, 500 employees, but they might have 30 people in their IT department. Now, put that in perspective, that would make them, their IT department, in the top 50 IT outsourced companies in Ireland in terms of people count, right? So you have probably a 1,000 companies in Ireland with bigger IT departments than most IT companies, right? So ultimately, they now need to be an expert in that space, but they're not because all they're looking at is one network. And and as time goes on, their knowledge of the network narrows and gets smaller and smaller. And when you take that across every aspect, not just IT in an organization, outsourcing starts making a lot of sense when actually you can get the value of external knowledge and, and bring in what other people have done well in their business into yours,
1: um it just makes sense. It's, it's so interesting as well. Cause I, we don't work in the same fields, but when I'm going in and I'm uh, trying to sell a, a new CRM package to a, a company and they've been so customer relationship management for those people who are listening, uh, like S- Salesforce, Zoho. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a million of them out there. HubSpot. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a million out there. Um, and sometimes when they've built their own stuff in-house, Um, They might've built it 10 years ago when the company was a different type of company, different scale. Um, And I I find that as well, that that kind of silo where they haven't modernized their approach at all. And then it's a big job to change it. It's like a big rip out and replace. Um, So there's some overlap there. So when you guys are working with your customers, are you kind of bringing them new ideas about how things should be done on a continual basis? Is that something that one of the benefits would be? Yeah,
2: absolutely. You know, like, you know, take... Uh, IT security, a huge challenge in, in the industry today. And, you know, we first had a ransomware breach in 2013. And there are companies that this year that are still getting a breach for the very first time. And, you know, within our client base by probably 2017, we had them all locked down and secured. And uh, and our cl- customers are at very low risk category since then. But on a consistent basis, we're getting new business where somebody's a ransomware attack and they've been brought down. So, you know, the, the value is once one of our customers has an incident event or they have something that's really transformational in terms of IT, we bring that, that knowledge across all of the customers and bring it back to them. And, um, you know, I even take something, right, that's, uh, you know, we would we would consider it as kind of a, uh, you know, a, a very widespread of customers in our client base. And you mentioned HubSpot there, right? We put HubSpot in our business about three years ago, on the recommendation of one of our customers. And now I would say we probably have fifteen or twenty customers that have put it in. We're not a HubSpot agent; we don't deal with them in any way, shape, or form other than we really like the product and we'll pass that little nugget of, of information on. And again, you know, like you're talking about writing bespoke software, um, and lots of people do this, and they'll they'll you know build get an application. And they go there's an on-premise or a cloud version let's get the on-premise version because i can customize it and i'm always going okay you need to rule out the cloud version first as something that isn't going to work and if it'll do 80 percent of what you're going to do the long-term benefit of having it in the cloud means that you know you're not going to be stuck with your external partner who is the only one who knows how yours is customized you're not going to be stuck with upgrades because the, up, the customization you've done can't be upgraded. And you end up stuck with an on-premise solution for 10 years longer than you had intended. And everyone else has got all the benefits of a cloud solution. So for us, you know, the, the, the value in actually understanding, I suppose, across such a wide variety of businesses, what the right thing to do is. And we'll always say, where you can put it on a pure SaaS application, put it on, on SaaS, put it on the cloud, and not be bringing something on premise. Keep your on premise infrastructure as small and neat as possible, and it just makes such a difference. So we can bring that knowledge, and every time we come across something, we bring that we bring that to our customer base. And um, you know, we've we've uh, we should have done this a long time ago. We've a rule in place now for our clients that by the by the thirty first of uh or 30th of June, they have to have two factor authentication for all uh, office three sixty five accounts. Or we will no longer allow them to be a customer. Okay. And and we probably should have done that a year earlier because a lot of people don't understand the importance of that simple thing. And two factor communication is free, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Everyone yeah. should have it. It's 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 not even a debatable point. And some people sometimes people say to me, you know, because they have an experience to bring but, but my past is very complicated. No one would ever guess it. And I'll okay. say, they don't have to guess it. They're gonna kind of trick you to give it to them. And then they'll log in and take your your data. And that's what they do. It's, it's not about guessing passwords. And, it, you know, and there's all sorts of different concepts in IT security about the, the password length and complexity. And the reality is, you know, for me, that doesn't make sense either because if someone's going to rob your password, they can rob a complex one as easy as a small one. That's an irrelevant piece. And the most easy way to take a password is to rob it. So you might as well have a password you can remember. But if you have two-factor authentication, they need your password, easy or hard, and your phone to get into your email. Um, or into your systems and that's you know just practical simple things
1: and those things like that when you're if you're a business and that's not what your focus is you're kind of like ah you don't really need that and then there's a breach and then i guess I'm calling you guys um yeah <clears throat> so w- when you when you guys started the business i'm always wondering about the 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 first few months of the business like that when you guys mentioned that you were a different um, a different type of business then how are you getting your first customers are you is it kind of network uh, effects or are you kind of uh, taking out ads I know that you've, you've got your big lease and everything like we said and the big uh, and the big salaries from day one but uh, how do you actually get customers at the beginning
2: at, at the start oh uh, well with great difficulty I'll be honest um, you know and, and again what we didn't really what I was I mean you're starting a business and you're and you're looking at what you've done and you've written out all of the reasons why someone should buy what you've built and you're like okay well we're gonna do virtualization and cloud email there were our two things right and I'm going, okay, with virtualization, you buy 10 servers, it's 100,000. With virtualization, you can buy one server for 20 grand, and then you can get a second one for 20 grand. So you spend 40 rather than 100, and you can actually have full disaster recovery. And it takes up less space and use electric, less electricity, and you have a ton of money left over. And I go, everyone's going to buy this. And then I walk in, and people, Celtic Tiger, people are going, yeah, but it's only saving me 60,000. But that's not a lot over five years. And again, like there was so much money in the economy, it actually went against us. And, you know, I was going in saying, you know, cloud email in 2008 and we were charging at the time, I'm going to take a stab, but 12 euro per user per mailbox, right? And I'm going into places and it's let's say you're saying it's 300 euro a month for, for email or you can buy a server for 20 grand to do the same thing, right? So over five years, if you work the maths, it's cheaper to be on cloud but also if you buy the server you have to put 100 quid a month of electricity into it and you have to recharge your 150 quid a month to support it right and i'm going into companies and they're going yeah no i don't like you know, it's, it's only a couple hundred quid a month it's not really relevant and by the way because it's cheaper it's not perceived to be better right so huge a huge for us. we couldn't actually get people to to sign off and then when the recession really took hold in two thousand and nine, we we're going in and we were going and, and they're saying we can't afford to spend a server buy a server for twenty grand. We're going, Well, we have a cloud solution for three hundred. And finally, so it was actually a recession starting product. And now and even then we were always selling it based on the commercial saving. But it was much harder to sell it on the on the benefit of cloud, which now you could go in, and you could actually argue if on premises cheaper than cloud, you would still want to go cloud because actually it just makes more sense from a business point of view. But yeah, the first couple of customers were hard, you know. And we did it, we, one of our first customers was ProntoPrint, right? And they bought a firewall with us. And God, they must have been, I mean, we were delighted, right? But we, we did a press release around Nostra Secure ProntoPrint. And I think we sold it like a 1,500 euro firewall right. and we got news paper uh, articles we got a huge amount of press over this thing and we went out and actually spent more than the entire profit on a night out between the traders of this applicant that first check-in door um but business was hard fought back then and you know and, and the other thing was in Celtic tiger and and, uh, and that era was it was huge loyalty to uh, other companies so your suppliers and you were coming in as a new player so what the recession actually did for us now it was a very hard first three years because it wasn't until 2010 that you know that, that everyone was 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 i suppose drained and needed to look at a new way of doing things that we were able to come in as a new alternative way of doing something and um, but in that same period we had evolved from just being a, a provider of product and cloud services actually saying look we we'll take the whole thing and we'll manage all of your IT, we'll provide you with the people, we'll provide you with the services, we'll provide you with the servers, PCs and desktops. You get one check a month. And and if you have any concerns or issues, you can give us a ring and we'll land in and we'll talk you through, be it security or otherwise. And, you know, we got really lucky. And what we we then learned, I remember going to uh, a a SaaS uh, provider um, at the time, and I can't remember which one, but they were talking about how to grow a business and they were shown as their model. And I remember the time there, the 20% per annum customer loss and a 40% per annum customer increase. And they were netting it out to 20% per annum growth on recurring revenue when they were shown the model. And I remember I was looking at it and going, like they would double the speed of growth if they reduced their customer loss. (laughs) And we then focused on uh, customer retention which we now we track on a monthly basis so our customer retention is at 98 percent of customers but actually it's at 99 percent of revenue and um, so we we in that the customers that we have lost in the last couple of years are at the micro side of our of, of, of businesses and for us having that retention allowed us to Grow and every piece of growth that we had became an annual growth, rather than actually fighting to to uh, to grow when you're actually just marrying two numbers off each other. And that was probably the biggest turning point for us.
1: It's that recurring revenue that is just it's such a game changer when you, when it's compounding like that. <clears throat> when I started in, in HubSpot, I think we were at. I don't know, like 200 200 million or something uh, per per annum, and now that's over a billion in four years, because that's all compounded. Say, you know, our, our churn um, is a little bit higher than, uh, or a little bit lower rather than 99%, but it's still one of the higher ones uh, in the industry, which keeps it really strong as well. So okay. I, l- I love that idea of the bill and so That's that's recurring. And just to give people uh, an idea of the scale of the business right now, you're talking about you and uh, maybe your two of your founder partners uh, going out on a night out and spending that money, but now it's over 100 people uh, in the organization. That's what it looks like yeah. on LinkedIn. How many yeah, people are would, working there? Would, yeah,
2: there's about 160 in Master today. And, and growing, and about forty-five of those would be based uh, permanently in our customer sites. But we're not a, you know, we're not a recruiter. We're not an agency. Our teams that are in customer sites are quite fluid. So we might, you know, provide a a, a resource to a business, and let's say they have uh, two IT people from Astra. But over the course of a the year, there could be twelve different people, use filling those two slots. And again, you know, come back to I know this is specifically about outsourcing, but in outsourcing, the the point I would say is that it probably takes 16 or 18 different skill sets for us to deliver back a proper solution to a customer. And, you know, we had a a customer today who rang us and said, you know, we're uh, hiring about 35 or 40 new people. They're going to be based all over Europe. They're going to be working from home. They're going to be using their own devices. And they're going to be working on highly sensitive data, which is extremely uh, uh sensitive in terms of the global market uh, perspective. And we can't have a scenario that they take this data and pass it on to a third party. That can't be possible. Can you build a solution that will make that happen? And you know, we have a team of experts that, in the security team, we brought them in, we went through the problem, we came up with a solution and we did it, right? But that was the on-site team that, that we have for that organization didn't have that skill set. And that's the whole point about social, that you're able to plug into our much wider set of skills, whatever the event that happens, that you can bring one phone number, get through to your account manager, tell them your problem, and they'll they'll get the right resource on the call you to do or whatever's there.
1: It's interesting as well, because imagine if you had to like even from a like a traditional uh, IT consulting point of view where it's project based, I guess, a lot of the time where you have to start from scratch, go to put out your tender, you will get all these um, you know uh, tender offers coming in but the like to have that that ability to pick up the phone and say I need to expand my IT uh, infrastructure for you know next month and you guys will be able to kind of work out a plan for that and yeah. the fact that you guys are one hundred and sixty people and you're three people, that, uh, 14 years ago that's really impressive and I think it makes a, a huge impact on, on those people's lives as well so whenever we talk to entrepreneurs it must, it must feel good to say you know we're over 100 people net new jobs is that something that you pride yourself on?
2: I don't know and to be fair we've, we've uh, you know it's, it's, it's not far off our, our client retention our staff retention is up at that level as well and you know because we're a growing company it creates lots of opportunity for people and you know we have a very relaxed cultural atmosphere. You know we, you know we won't uh, we won't tolerate a customer being abusive to our team. We won't tolerate our team being abusive to a customer. You know it, we're an office that there's never any shouting in. You know, I, you know I I want to work in Australia. I really, you know our play is a long term play. Like this is the we're, I'm five years now into a 30 year plan. So five years ago myself and my brother Barry sat down and we said right what what can we do. We were mid-30s at the time. Let's do a 30-year plan to 65 and how big can we grow this? And we were only 4 million at that time. Uh, we're twenty, probably 22, 23 million this year. Um, so, you know, we've done 5X in five years, so our hope is we can continue on something like that level. But, you know, for me, all the way through when you're trying to grow a business, you have to make sure that you consistently have a team that enjoy it. Um, and and for me, it's all about that. And Like I was in the office today, and, you know, today, actually, we with a full house in terms of the office and what we can allow in COVID times. So pre-COVID, we would have had maybe 75 or 80 people in our head office in Newcomb. Uh Today, there was about 23 or four people in it, which is the most we can allow uh, at, at the moment. But that was the highest number that had been in the office probably since the start of the pandemic, and lots of different reasons for that. But the atmosphere in there, even with social distancing and with with everyone sitting in a canteen, you know, we've got tables one person per table at lunch, and it was just amazing just to be back in the group and everyone back together. It was like the band back together again. Um, But yeah, no, it does feel good. And and, you know, I have people who who started with me at 20 years of age, who are 32, 33 now. You know, after buying a house, you know, and or on, you know, had a baby. You know, all of those different. Things that you go through that journey with people, um, and for me, I would hope that they can have their full career span uh, working in what we're trying to build out here.
1: So, it's Mark Baker, are you thinking thirty years ahead, or what's the what's the plan there? Are you guys getting together? What's,
0: what's I'm, af- I'm afraid to think thirty years ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, five years is the max that I that I think. But um, what I wanted to ask, Kevin, is you, you, you went through a recession, obviously the first, um, the, the last one that we remember. When COVID came along, what was your thoughts? How did you think it was going to affect the business? And then how did it actually affect the business?
2: Well, yeah, so look, and, and, and I will say I was a, a novice in business when it happened. I mean, you know, for us, the, the 28th of March, 2008 was the day that the music stopped. And it stopped in our business because Bank of Ireland and uh, Bank of Scotland, Ireland, both stopped doing technology leasing blanket in the Irish marketplace. And that was a huge driver for, for new business sales for us. Effectively, 100 percent of our deals at that point were all financed with, with leasing. Um, so the music stopped and, and or the customer leads didn't go away. We were still talking to people who wanted to do things, but then you had Northern Rock collapsed. You know, you had all the big business collapses, you'd, you'd you know, you'd publish publicity publicity every single day of negative news. And every day, you know, you'd almost be at a point of you getting a deal with somebody and you're sitting in the reception hoping to sign it and you're watching the news or something pops up on your phone, you know, a thousand jobs lost in Galway. That question.
1: So you were saying that the the banks were all kind of gone, the leasing was gone. You were still talking to customers, but they're all kind of on the fence saying, let's see what happens next month.
2: Yeah. And and the challenge that I had is there was so much bad news, there was so much coming through on a regular basis. Customers were delaying decisions. And I, You know, like I think no one really understood in 2008 the extent of what was coming at us. And you're holding on and holding on. But we went from making about 30 grand a month profit at that point, even though it was in your second year, to losing 50 grand a month. And that happened overnight, as in we made 30 grand in March. We lost 50 in April, May, June, July, August, all the way through. Because our revenue went from 300,000 a month to 30,000 a month. So it was a massively painful period. And I waited too long, right? So when I actually, you know, made all the changes, let some people go, cut salaries, went and renegotiated rent, all of those different things, we were so deep in the hole, it took me years to call back out of it. So when the pandemic hit, we went very early, right? We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how our customers were going to be affected. We called in all the team early, we arranged weekly meetings and we sent people home early, as in we sent people home to work from probably a week before Paddy's Day, so just slightly ahead of the curve. And we announced a, a pay cut of 20% right across the board. We had customers contacting us on a daily basis going, we don't know what's going to happen here, but we're putting you on notice that we may need a reduction in services. And what we did is we proactively reached out to every single customer and we said, if you're in trouble, contact us, we will support you. Forget about our contractual arrangements. If we need to give you discounts, if we need to stop billing, we will do whatever it takes as long as you're genuinely in a a bind. And we did that all the way through. And then what happened was about a week, so we we then, you know, in in our uh, business, we had a week where everything was negative. And I'm going to say the week after Paddy's week, everything was negative. Every day, customers were looking for discounts. Customers were saying they're not going to pay us on time government then came out with their supports companies were saying actually it's not going to be as bad as we think we're going to be able to do this then we started having orders coming in for new laptops and new desktops and it and it literally took off so within a, a four-week period without ever even implementing a pay cut we restored pay so we never put on even salaries and we ended up you know i, I suppose the swings and roundabouts came so we had probably 20 customers significantly impacted uh, some of our bigger customers were, were impacted, and we stopped billing. Some we did half billing, some we did 20%, depending on how severely they were impacted. But all the companies who stopped trading, we stopped billing. And then, uh, but on the, on the swing of that, we had a ton of customers that just took off, and they went, and they needed more services. And we were able to redeploy people that we were taking out of sites that were closed, for so retail customers, and put them into sites that were accelerating. And, and actually, thankfully, our revenue stayed flat on budget for the year as a result. Um, but we just managed it very well. We managed the communication with the team. We dealt, we went to all of our suppliers early to say, if there's an issue, we, we need to deal with this. And, um, you know, but thankfully we, we got through last year, but we literally came in within 250,000 of our budget last year. So a business of our size, you know, was a couple of percent off um, and, and, and uh, and that was very much to do with in my view, deciding that we wanted to build long term relationships with our customers. We weren't gonna hold people to contracts. We wanted to be fair and we wanted everyone to be fair to us and, and we got that. And I think our, our move early was something that we learned from the last recession and make sure that you're ahead of the ball and, and, and over communicate. It's such
1: a, it was a, such an interesting time. I remember that March as well. Um like it's hard to re- put into context now, and I think it's going to be even hard, harder to contextualise this to our kids when they're growing up when that week when COVID was when the t shot come out and said everyone has to stay home and all that type of stuff because I remember like we had ordered new cupboards for like under the under the stairs and stuff and I was like to my wife call them cancel that I might not be able to go to work tomorrow do you know like I thought it was we absolutely didn't know what was going to happen but then we saw that the, the people working from home um, and for for you guys and for my business as well, um, any, anything that was kind of digital it just went through the roof, and um, it, people had to pivot that weren't going to pivot until they were forced to. And I think it made a kind of a breakthrough. Um, and I know marks in recruiting, but I've got some other uh, people and uh, that I know in kind of tech recruiting, and it's one of the things that people are looking for that flexibility as standard now, rather than you know I remember a few years ago a remote working job was pretty much a rarity like uh, even in yeah. in the tech industry but does that affect your business as in does it is it does working from home affect your business kind of positively if people need more oh. distributed it solutions or is it uh, does the office environment suit, suit your business how does that affect you guys long term
0: well
2: I'll, I'll say two things and again different businesses are affected in different ways you know um, like my my wife uh, has a business, uh, flowers made easy, and uh, she only bought that business at the start of the pandemic, first of January last year. And you know they they closed up shop. They did everything uh, as uh, from the T shocks uh, announcement, which was just before Mother's Day, a huge time in that business. But you know you look at what she does. They can't work remotely, right? They are manufacturing uh, and, and delivering product, right? So there's not a lot that those types of organizations can do, but from uh, from normal company or most companies, certainly a portion of the team can work from home, and uh, and in our business, all of our team can work from home. Like to be fair, uh, our business is perfectly aligned to have multiple offices or multiple locations, or everyone working from home. You know, I started out by saying we started as a cloud provider, so in reality, more our customers had more cloud services than most. And therefore, the ease at which they moved home was, was you know, uh, unheard of across, across Ireland, right? And we, our biggest source of new business last year was where, uh, you know, you had a couple at home. And let's say the husband's business was with Nostra and literally arrives home and everything works. And the uh, wife's business might, might have been with somebody else at all on-premise infrastructure. It was clunky, just didn't function properly. And they're going, how come we are able to work really well and not? We want a ton of business like that. It was brilliant. One of the best ways to win it, because you get a, you get a phone call on a Monday, you get a customer signed by a Friday, and what historically would have been a, a year-long engagement. Um, but yeah, for me, like it's, it, what I would say, for me personally, I would have had a certain number of remote workers. Uh, and what I, well, the way I always described it to people pre-pandemic was, there are people who can work from home, and there are people who can't. And the ones who can are brilliant at them. The ones who can't ultimately, you know, go home and don't actually get a level of productivity. But, I mean, I would say by and large, I'm sure you've the same experience. I mean, everyone can really work from home. And I think it comes down to if you want to or not. And, and I think giving people the choice is something that I will do for every employee now. Whereas whereas historically, I would have been very cautious of, of allowing anyone to work permanently for home. And, you know, we've, uh, in theory now, 160 remote workers in the business. Everyone uh, at a portion of the week works from home. And uh, a lot of people, you know, there's over probably 50 people who haven't been in any of our offices in over a year. Um, And our productivity is is exactly where everyone else is. Some of them are way up. So for me, it's going to change a lot of things. I think nine to half, five is gone. I don't think it'll ever come back. I don't think it should come back. And I think, you know, what will happen is we'll have a a working time in a day, so 7 till 7, Monday to Friday, and you need to do 37 and a half hours in that week. And, you know, different departments we're talking about today, I mean, I think a sales department, as an example, needs to be open five days and you'll typically deal with one person if you've been account management scenario. So, therefore, they'll have to do seven and a half hours a day. But it might be seven till till three, and next day it might be ten till seven or whatever. I think that flexibility will be there, and then I think in roles where you know where you're doing shared work, like in engineering or or in in other sectors, even retail, I think you'll end up with more the four day week and the three day week, where you're still doing the same amount of hours, but you're doing it over a shorter time frame. And for me, I think it might end up with retail being open and longer standard retail hours, standard business hours, and just a completely different way in which we all actually work. Uh, and I think and I think it'd be great. And for me, I've never been one to work from home. I never had an office in the house, never brought a laptop in the door, hadn't even left a laptop in the car. So work had to stay there. But, you know, I've had a year of picking up the kids from school a couple of times a week, been here when they come home, you know, getting disturbed during Zoom calls, and um, you know, and all that. And 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 I think it's been phenomenal. So I expect I'm gonna work at least one day a week on a permanent basis from home. And I think that's a really good thing, you know, and I'm, and I'm really enjoying it. Now, for me, I love the office, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I will have the majority of my time there. But am I going to make sure I'm there for nine o'clock every morning? And, and even as the business owner, I used to feel guilty coming in at five past nine, even though I might have been at a meeting at seven o'clock in town. It's like, I can't, I'll go for a coffee i about come minute a half, nine, and then they'll know I was doing something rather yeah. than seven minutes past the one it's tardy late, mm-hmm. you know? And, and all that is gone. I mean, I see somebody walking in at 20 past nine now, and I'm like, Did you drop your kids to school? Great. Right. You know? yeah. As opposed to 20 past nine, 20 minutes late. And and I just think it's great that that, that culture is gone and hopefully stays gone.
1: Yeah, because I haven't worked in a, a place like that in a long time. Like, even in HubSpot, they're pretty flexible anyway. Like, you'd be, yeah. and because I've always, well, not always, but for the last number of years, I've been in the sales end of things. So it's a very simple thing where it's like you're either hitting your numbers or you're not. And as long as you're hitting your numbers, people don't really. They, they, there's there's a lot of flexibility that can be um, can, can be given to people like that. But I, I suppose there's going to be those those uh some of my friends that are in their in the business where they're if they're like account managers, they've got to be on call from this amount of hours because they need coverage, right? That's completely different. So there's going to be a kind of a, a set of rules for everyone uh, in the in the type of function which is really interesting. But you mentioned the the 30-year plan it's kind of like the the chinese communist party i like the i like the vision uh the long-term effect that's why i always think when i'm watching the news when i see china i'm like these guys are gonna win they're thinking long term true. You know? um yeah. so i think we need to do a little bit more long-term thinking but from a growth point of view um as most of your business in ireland to grow the way you guys want to grow is this going to be something that you guys are going like o- overseas, international, multiple countries, uh, can you run uh, um, uh, international business from Lucan? What's the what's the plans?
2: Yeah, well, uh, we're we're uh, going to be on the move soon. We haven't announced our new location yet, but we've outgrown our office in Lucan, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to find a suitable uh, building to replace it with uh, locally. So we'll be moving within the vicinity, within a couple of kilometers. But we are moving out of Lucan. You know, I suppose Dublin is is an amazing city, right? And you go anywhere in the world, and the acceptance that you get from being a Dublin headquartered business is like nowhere else in the world, in my opinion. Um, But you know, you look at all of the globally uh, uh, global businesses that are headquartered here, and. You know, and and I believe that we can build our business from here without going too far off the shores of Ireland. Like one of our most common new customers that come in, because a lot of our business is international, but actually our core focus is Irish headquartered global companies. And I'm not talking about the Microsofts and uh, and the Facebooks of this world. I'm I'm talking about you know companies with a couple of hundred employees and seven or eight offices around the world, and we can as a as an Irish provider managed all of those locations from here with our global partners. And we have people on the ground in the countries. and we're not afraid to hire somebody in the UK or Singapore or China, wherever we need to hire somebody on the ground to, to manage IT if required. Um, but, but that's our core focus. And my view is that Ireland is probably one of the best places in the world for, for somebody with our vision to do that. Um, you know, we have lots of pharma companies that we look after. We have lots of IT companies, we have manufacturing companies that are all global. Um, and we manage them all from here. And, and I think our goals, as I look at it, is all achievable in that space. And, you know, talking about a 30-year plan, you know, and, and this is somewhat of a, a cliche statement, right? But, you know, a lot of people say that you, you overestimate what you can achieve in the short term, but you underestimate what you can achieve in the long term. And that's probably what we're what we're doing. I mean, if you look at take an Excel spreadsheet and do 20% compound growth year on year, right? Starting at 13 million, right? Just as an example. Uh, after 26, 20% growth, you're at a billion. Right. Uh, but but the second year is only you know 15 million, and then it's 18 million, right? So you know, the 20% if you consistently deliver it it jumps up that high. and you know, I don't know if we'll ever achieve anything greater than, than where we are today. But we're on a journey, and we're enjoying it. And, you know, and and I've seen lots of people over the years sell their companies and and do very well and then get lost a little bit about, you know, what's next and what am I going to do next? And 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 you, you know, you almost well, you meet somebody and, and you might somebody would say, Well actually five years ago they sold a the company for ten million. And you will have heard it be remembered. But actually, they tend to be, uh, not everyone, and obviously, probably lots of people go on to do second or third amazing businesses. Uh, in fact, there's uh, somebody a massively, admire, Norman, Norman Crowley, who was on last week or a couple of weeks ago, you guys. Yeah. I mean, his success after success is so exciting. But actually, his business is probably multiple businesses, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's, that's his thing. So for me, I, I, I think I've got a great business with great people. And if I sold it, one, I don't know if the people would want to be friends with me, <laughs> or, and I love them all. So I'm going, okay, well, here's a great bunch of people that I believe can go on a really long journey with me, and see how big we can do it, so, you know, and, and let's just let's just throw our hat in the ring and, and and go for it. And and we are very much taking the, you know, small growth, but year on year and be consistent with it, and keep going, keep retaining the customers. If we need to stop because we're where where you know something goes wrong in terms of our retention of clients, we we'll stop, fix it, and then we we'll go again, and and see what we can do. And again, you know, we're not afraid to get out of our industry because for me, the people that we're in uh, that that are in the business are really dynamic and have lots of different interests. So I, I would think we will diversify, but stay in Ireland, and but focus very much on global companies. But every service that. Is known to man. We would like to be able to invite companies in the B two B basis and I think that's where our
1: expertise are. So interesting, because a lot of people, the the game is to, you know, a lot of people think the game is to kind of build it as quickly as you can, kind of almost build to sell. That's the uh, the kind of the, the focus on a lot of kind of uh, te- information technology businesses, especially SaaS. That seems to be the the thing. Um, although, like we've mentioned, HubSpot a good few times uh, today, the guys who started that I think it was fifteen years ago, they're still. Kind of in the leadership positions, um, and they got lots of offers to get out. Uh, I'm sure, and it's really paid off now. And this, since COVID, it's gone up three hundred percent or something the the stock, which is great for everybody involved. But um, yes. the what? Okay, so this this may not work, Mark. I'm gonna. I was thinking about this new uh, this new segment we might do on the podcast. So this is this. If this doesn't work, uh, we'll, we'll cut it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we used to do uh, you know a quick fire uh, questions, and we, we might do that as well, but we were thinking about, so what would you do for industry specific to what you're doing now? Um, so you guys are thinking 30 years, say if somebody was, uh, starting a business in it outsourcing or something that's adjacent to that. And you had, you had a gun to your head. You had three years to start a business in a area of the area of what you guys do, um, or an area where you think there's a lot of growth potential in, and you had to sell the company in three years. What would be the gameplay there? What would be the the kind of in and out game for for IT reselling? Is there would it be uh, start a like a, a is it a reseller business? Is it a um, security consulting business? What's the what's a three year plan that could work for somebody?
2: Well, security is the hot topic at the moment, right? And and probably the one uh, I would say you know again, it's not easy to get into the space that we're in because and. Um, You know, it requires so many resources to do. I mean, in reality, if you come to me and I have less than 15 people, it's unlikely you're going to be able to deliver all of the services you need, even if you own a computer, because in reality, it takes a lot of different skill sets to manage it. So the cost of entry is high. But in IT security, you know, as a specific niche, the big challenge in the industry is there's a lack of security experts. So if you're a security expert, or you can get one then there's a huge market for it and you can grow quickly. But ultimately, your product is the person, so you've got to get the person. And then in reality, if you're a good salesperson, you'll be able to sell their time. So I would probably say I'd stick with the security piece. Um, But, you know, it it is a sector with very, very few new entrants on on a yearly basis. And and it's a sector that is is full of really two tiers You have companies that are up to two billion in turnover. And there's hundreds of them, and you've companies that's above two million in turnover. And in our space, there's probably two new entrants in that second category in the last five years.
1: Wow.
2: And there is probably only 20 companies in that space in total. And at this point, there's probably only four or five that are that are Irish owned, um, or owned by by private uh, people. And um, so it's a very narrow market and sector, and, and probably. A high barrier of entry to get into it because of the skill sets it's your so harsh
1: and there's such a not a lack of them, but it's it's competitive out there for those type of people like you're saying with the security expertise yeah. and stuff like that interesting so you're, what yeah. you're saying is there's no there's no in and out here you get, you got to be in for the long haul and hope you got the resources to break into the the top five yeah.
2: Yeah, and again, look, you know what I would say is that the in our space, the technology-led IT companies tend to be much more successful than the non-technology-led IT companies. But again, the technology-led IT companies often don't grow because the scale, sales skills aren't there. So uh, what I would say is, if I was if I was starting it and I didn't have the sales skills, I'd be saying you need a really good techie and you need a really good uh, salesperson, and they need to be. Uh, like it, like it, love in how they work together. Uh, and if they can get that, that's a very good starting point to get into our space.
0: We've heard that a few times now. Yeah. You know, I've, I was just going to say to you, because you actually had, you were unique enough that you had, I know you had co founders, but you had the technical knowledge and the sales skills. How important, and if you could give a weighting towards either one, how important were they to you in starting out as an entrepreneur?
2: So, you know, I think in in our case, uh, I think they were probably uh, at different points, they had different levels of importance. And at the start, I didn't have, you know, I was a good salesman, but I was selling in the Celtic Tiger era, right? and I watched a video once and somebody was talking about Celtic Tiger sales, and it was a Giselle running through it, I don't know if you ever saw the video, but there were two lions sitting in the desert, right, in front of a tree and there's a Giselle running, right? And the Giselle runs, so it cuts to the two lions, and they're yawning, and the Giselle is running. And all of a sudden, the Giselle hits the tree, kills himself, and falls down <laughs> in front of the two lions, right? And uh, it was the title was Selling in the Celtic Tiger Days, right? You didn't have to hunt. You just had to have a phone that, that worked, that had a charged battery, and business came to you. And actually, you know, when, when the music stopped and you had to learn to sell an entirely different experience. And um, So, you know, I had to get up and really relearn really how to go and hunt and be a hunter. And I think anyone who, who moved into sales from 2001 onwards didn't have that hunting skill. So, you know, the, the sales was mm-hmm. critically important at the start. Um, but for me to have both the value really that d- the d- deliverer was, I didn't have to refer back to somebody else when I'm in with a customer. I could talk to them about the solution, explain to them why you should buy it, and get the deal over the line. And 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 Austria actually trains all of its salespeople on technical. Um, so we we our view is the sales skill is harder to teach. You have to kind of have a natural, uh, almost extremely extreme customer service ability. And I think if you have that, you can train the technical at a high level. But it's very hard to take somebody who's very technical and train them to sell. Uh, so I would put, I would say, if somebody was was looking at the core skill that's required to, to be any entrepreneur, core skill in my view is selling. Uh, but but a lack of understanding of the product, uh, if you don't have it, you need to give that to somebody that you implicitly trust in the market, and and they have to help you make the strategic decisions of where you're going to go, and um, and and what we found over the years, a lot of the companies in our space that haven't done well, you know. Microsoft will release a new product or, you know, somebody will release a new product, which has a specific niche, you know, uh, um, uh, I suppose, fit in a, in the market, right? And it might be for 5% of, of companies, this product, right? And some IT companies will latch onto it and try and sell it to every single one of their customers. And it doesn't work for everyone because it's a specific application. And, you know, having that technical understanding is key uh, in any business, I mean, like not just in IT. You know, if you're in recruitment, right? What's the key if you're If you're uh, t- talking about financial controllers and supplying the companies, you need to technically understand what their job is to be able to sell it properly. So, for me, you have to have the sales skills, and you have to have a good technical understanding of it. And you know, and and, and for me, it's it's a bit like you know, you're going through an airport and. I'm buying just because I'm interested I'm buying like business magazines right and Forbes and and business plus and whatever magazines on the shop but I'm also buying you know PC world and and compute whatever and mac world and, and I'm reading them I'm like gosh that's that's the new products so I'm interested so I'm so you're getting both sides um, but that's a unique thing that, to me you know and, and i'm I'm'm uh, I'm a bit odd like that <laughs> so there's not many of me in the world think God.
1: That's very interesting because that's what we were talking about. We did an episode on um, uh, Naval Ravikant, the uh, investor uh, in uh, Silicon Valley. I don't know if you've came across him before, but he was saying people who can build and sell are kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a magic kind of recipe. So uh, hopefully, well, it's been working so far. So let's uh, keep that going. But at this stage, we usually ask you the kind of the final question of the night, which is, uh, would you prefer a T-shirt or a mug? But because of Brexit, Brexit we've been cut off with our T-shirts. Uh, are we still... Cut off, Mark. And um, they're making it difficult. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> so there is a mug uh, a shark pod mug on the way to you uh, Kevin thank you so much for uh, joining us today really really enjoyed uh, chatting to you Uh, congratulations on all the success of the business anytime an entrepreneur uh, generates 100 jobs and uh, up to 20 million over 20 million a year in revenue that's already a a huge success a big impact on people's lives like you said and also taking that long term vision is something that um, a lot of our listeners uh, might take a little bit of inspiration from as well so thank you so much for joining us on the shark pod this evening Great.
0: thanks kevin
2: yeah my ambition for the next week is to get a haircut
1: okay let's, let's, let's all let's all put that in our calendars and try to get that done right, right. well not everyone sorry back <laughs>